welcome to the curiosity of a child episode 23 mm-hmm. we are back after a long break aren't we yeah normally we release every two to three weeks but i had my birthday so that was one weekend out and then due to age i managed to uh, twinge my shoulder and i'm still recovering now so but we're back aren't we mate yeah and last episode we were in the kitchen but this episode we are back in the studio yeah <laughs> And what are we going to talk about? Nuts. When you visit the supermarket this time of year, you always find lots of nuts, won't you? Yeah. And they're part of a winter tradition. So I remember when I was about your age, um, Granny and Branch, they'd always have some nuts mm-hmm. at Christmas time. And they never got fully eaten. They'd always be sitting there. And we never had them any other time of year either. It's only at Christmas. I think that's probably the same for a lot of people. Yeah. But nuts, they've always been a really important food source for people. As they ripen late in the winter, they were a great winter food for early man. And they're usually stored for long periods as well. In Ireland, during the Mesolithic period, so that's about 8,000 to 4,000 BCE, mm-hmm. um, there are shelves of hazelnuts commonly found in excavations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we also mentioned in our chocolate episode, that's episode 9, uh, that hazelnuts uh, shells being found on the Isle of Skye, dated back 8,000 years. This continued into the Neolithic period, so that's about 4,000 to 2,500 BCE. That's when kind of early farming began. But even with more settled populations and people producing more and more um, kind of food themselves on the land, mm-hmm. still 87% of sites excavated contained traces of hazelnuts. <laughs> so it shows how important they are. Yeah. Then right into medieval times, they remained an important part of people's diets. Due to the importance around them, it means that a lot of uh, kind of folklore and history has kind of grown up around nuts. Mm-hmm. And um, it might also be the semi-permanence of some of the great trees like oak trees helped to add to their mystery and that folklore around them. Yeah. And they were seen as important places of wisdom. That's why in books you kind of have like the magic trees and kind of wise. If you had, um, talk, I don't know, talking... Um, plants and stuff the trees would always be the wisest and maybe that's because they can get so old as well exactly yeah yeah uh, it's like the tree of life and they kind of lived or they're as old as the land aren't they and they kind of yeah. as long as memory but our change in not consumption also points at how we've the landscape has changed through uh, man's activities so you're going from vast forests everywhere they're full of not producing trees and those made way for field modern agriculture haven't they yeah. so this episode we're going to look at a couple of trees um, and some of the folklore and the history around them. Mm-hmm. We also have an interview with the host of Chestnut Chat, so listen out for that at the end, and you'll get to learn all about the game of Conkers. So, uh, should we get on with the show? On with the show. Sounds good. We're actually going to start with a story by you, which I wrote for your school homework, but actually yep. seems rather fitting. Maybe a modern fake tale. Long, long ago, in the mists of ancient time, a hopeful but filthy beggar befriended a playful squirrel that can talk. (laughs) The squirrel's name was Nutfred. He proved a faithful servant to the beggar by first stealing him a small bowl. The beggar was thankful for Nutfred's generosity. The beggar said, If you bring me some food, I'll do my best to build you an home. Deal, cried the helpful squirrel approvingly. The next day, Nutfred journeyed through the busy streets, searching for what the beggar had asked for. Food. To the talking squirrel, this meant hazelnuts, acorns, chestnuts and many more. So that's what he gathered. A plentiful supply of nuts. Meanwhile, the beggar was doubtful he could return his part of the deal and was fearful if Nutfred would continue to do his job. 
The beggar hoped the squirrel would be pitiful and give him another chance. Later, when Nutfred returned, he slumped down his loot. The beggar was horrified. Then he picked up a handful and sprang to his feet. I have an idea! He yelled triumphantly. Two years later. <laughs> ah, the beautiful money is rolling in, old pal, said the loaded beggar. The nut trading business has really improved our income, hasn't it? Questioned Nutfred. Indeed, replied Mr. S. Beggar. Oh, and how's the uh, mini mansion coming along then? Brilliant, good chap. The whole family's moving in next week. All 130 of us, Nutfred responded. The end. Thank you. So the that's end. a modern nutty folktale. So, Anton, what's a nut? Um, I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Do you want to find out? Mm-hmm. Okay, so a nut is actually a fruit with a hard <laughs> shell and a seed inside which can be eaten. And lots of nuts are not actually nuts. So there's lots of nut nuts. Peanuts, cashew nuts, walnuts, Brazil nuts aren't actually nuts. These are seeds or legumes. But we don't want to talk about those. We want to talk about real nuts today. So we're going to start with hazelnuts, okay? Which I'm, I'm sure the squirrel... Certainly enjoyed in your story. Now, hazel, it's a tree that can grow to about 12 metres tall and live for 80 years, but they're often coppiced. And that means that the um, stems or the trunk are cut down close to the ground. Mm -hmm. And when they're managed like this, they can actually live for hundreds of years. And they're more like a large shrub than a tree. So it's not a particularly big uh, by tree terms. What's good about hazel is the branches, they can be really easily twisted together. So they were used for thatching spars and water and baskets and more. So you would have seen yeah. them all um, so that's So that would have been a really good multi-use. Uh, hazel trees would have been really good multi-use because in kelp times probably, because um, they would use their wattle and daub and stuff and mm. they could use the hazel branches. Um, and they get food as well. Exactly, yeah. So you can understand why they're so important to people and why yeah. you might get the folk tales that we're going to tell some of. Yeah. Now, hazel, it's got both male and female flowers. So there's a picture here. And see these yellow kind of things that look like little fluffy tails hanging they down? They look a bit like caterpillars. Those are the male flowers. Mm-hmm. And they have these little tiny red buds. Those are the <laughs> female tiny. ones. The female flowers typically develop into one to four knots in a little cluster. They do look um, a little bit nutty from that small. But <laughs> they kind of got the rough shape. Now, it's believed that a rod of hazel could protect you against evil spirits or be used for water divining. I think that it's divining, not divining. And the nuts could cure fevers or coughs um, and also clear your head. Some people even said that hazel could turn you invisible. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, pretty good. And you just mentioned the Celts, actually. So for the Celts, um, it was known as the Tree of Knowledge and was also seen as a symbol of fertility. There's a tale of an ancient sacred pool around which nine hazel trees grew. And... Um, Come later in the year, the hazelnuts would drop into the pool and they'd be eaten by a salmon that lives there. And salmon itself is a fish that was revered by uh, druids. And the number of spots on each fish would show how many nuts they'd eaten and also how wise they'd become. Mm-hmm. In one tower, a druid master catches the wisest of all the salmon uh, because he wants to eat it and get all of the knowledge for himself. Yeah. Um, so he asks one of his apprentices to cook it for him, but under no circumstances must the apprentice eat any whatsoever. So can you guess what happens? He eats it. No, or not exactly. It. Well, yeah. But what happens is whilst cooking, 
there's like the bobbling pot of water with the fish in there, and some of it splashes out and hits the boy's hands, and it kind of yeah. scolds his hand, so he puts it to his mouth and, goes, and gives it a good suck <laughs> because of the pain. Mm -hmm. um, and from that, he actually gained all the knowledge of the salmon, <laughs> uh, which the, itself had come from the nuts. And his name was Finn McCoyle, and he was a legendary figure in Irish mythology. And he was also one of the giants who created the Giant's Causeway. So here's the Irish one who fought like the fish one from games. Scotland. It does, yeah, they're all hexagons. Do you know how they're made? By the giants. Ah, well, some scientists say that they formed 50 to 60 million years ago when volcanic rock rapidly cooled and contracted. As it shrinks, the pressure builds up, causing stresses and cracking to occur at 120 degree angles, making the hexagons. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's got anything to do with the rock having like a crystalline structure or not. But uh, I don't think I believe that. I think I believe the giants yeah, made the causeway. Actually, I think that it's pre-cut in the ground, and then when that does happen, it all goes kind of rough. <laughs> <laughs> but what would happen if you picked the nuts before they're ripe? Not sure. Well, this is another tale here. A little bit darker, this one. So enter Melshtick, a guardian of ancient forests who warned against picking hazelnuts before they were ready. Now, way back in our second episode, we told the story of the fairy invasion of Guernsey. So you know about fae folk, don't you? Aren't they? Mm -hmm. Not always so good. And Melch Dick had a dark side too. I'm going to tell you the story now. Now, I think this comes from Yorkshire. So maybe when Granny was a young girl and walking through the woods, she would have been under the watchful gaze of Melch Dick. <laughs> so can you tell me an animal that loves nuts? Monkeys? Because what's funny, I wrote these notes before you wrote your story and yeah. I thought it's perfectly fitting what you've done. So there's a squirrel. <gasps> Karate squirrel. Yeah. It's a cool picture, isn't it? Yeah. So let's find out why they love nuts so much, shall we? One late autumn day, a group of boys ventured into the woods to collect hazelnuts and acorns. There was a mix of older boys and younger boys, and one called Dodo had a lame leg. This meant he was rather slow and he really struggled to keep up with the other lads. Mm -hmm. Then all the best nuts had already been taken, and so all he could grab were the green unripe ones, mm -hmm. which you know you shouldn't do. Yeah. After a long day of foraging and collecting a great number of nuts, dusk fell, so they decided to set off home so not to get lost in the forest in the dark. The older boy shouted to Dode to keep up with them as they trudged down the barely visible paths out of the woods and to home. Soon Dode was lagging far behind and had lost sight of the other boys. Looking around in the shade under an oak tree, he saw one of his friends waiting for him, so he hurried across as fast as he could. As he approached, he realised it was not one of the boys, but a rather strange old character. His clothes were covered in moss, and on his head was a cap of red fur. And from him came the oddest of smells. It's like the entire essence of the forest, and the wood, and all the trees. <laughs> and he was Melch Dick. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. He looked at Dode and said, Now then, Dode, where are you going to? Feeling a little scared, Dode replied, I'm off home. Well, I'm going your way, so if you'd like, you can come along with me. You'll not recognise me, but I can tell who you are by the way you favour your mother. Together they started to walk through the woods, and Dode told Melchdick how keen he was about animals. And most of all, I love squirrels, but they're too fast for me to catch. Upon hearing this, Melchdick's ears pricked up, and he told of how he'd been climbing trees earlier that day and caught a squirrel. Worried but excited, Dode agreed to go with him to fetch the animal, but he mustn't stay long. Melchdick's eyes glinted in the dimming light, and off the path they walked, deep into the woods between the great oaks and birch trees. As they walked, they chatted some more. 
Why are you covered in moss? Asked Dade. If you were to climb trees the same as I have, answers Melchdick, then you'll be covered in moss too, I'd say. And why do you wear a cap of red fur? Why shouldn't I wear a cap of red fur? I'd like to know. My mother makes them for me out of the squirrel skins, and they're fearful warm in the winter. They've been walking a long time, so Dade asked again about his squirrel. Wait a while, said Melchdick, and I'll show you more squirrels than you've seen in all of your life. They reached an old pond in the middle of the woods. It was small but deep, and Melchdick took a whistle from his pocket and blew a few notes. All around, the foliage rustled, and in the moonlight that filled the small clearing, squirrels jumped and danced between the boughs overhanging the pool of water. Melchdick continued to play, and more squirrels came and began leaping and prancing in a great circle around the pool. They looked up and watched them excitedly. Faster and faster they went, and the whistle let out a shrill shriek that filled the wood. Dode was transfixed, mesmerised, his body shaking and he felt himself spinning around. His legs collapsed and he fell on the leaf litter under Melchdick's spell. His senses were gone and he was going to be turned into a squirrel, as has happened to so many boys and girls who picked unripe nuts before. And I'm going to leave the story there and let you decide if he escapes or not. I don't think he does. Maybe he was the helpful talking squirrel in your yeah. story. And there's several other similar woodland spirits, such as Cher Milk Ped and Not Nan, who had chased children away with hot pokers. I've got a photo of Melchdick here, tormenting yeah. a rabbit. That's not very nice. And this is actually from a calendar, and it's the 5th of February, which is World Nutella Day. And no discussion of hazelnuts would be complete without the mention of the world's favourite spread. Apparently it outsells every brand of peanut butter combined. And it's because peanuts are not real nuts, are they? Fake nuts. Yummy nuts. Yeah, it is good. But I think um, a lot of that is because people have allergies. But people mm-hmm. have allergies to Nutella as well. Yes. <laughs> 365 million kilograms of Nutella are made every year. And that's the same mass as the Empire State's building. Not weight, but mass. Mm-hmm. And today, most hazelnuts are grown in the mountains of northern Turkey. They account for 70% of the world's production. And Ferrero, who make Nutella, mm-hmm. buy about 30% of those nuts. So we covered some of this in our chocolate episode, which you should listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should mm-hmm. listen to all our episodes, really. That is true. But they're not actually produced in big farms. It's actually thousands of tiny farms, kind of on the steep hills. And the labourers who collect the nuts often have really poor wages and working conditions. And they spend long hours harvesting the crop by hand because you can't use machinery because the just the hills are too steep. Mm-hmm. There's also some child labour there. It's meant to be illegal, but sadly it does still happen. And there's a really interesting podcast on BBC Sounds, which I'll link to in the show notes, which you should listen to. Um, then the journalist there, he's, he sees like 12-year-old boys and girls, they're carrying 35 kilogram bags of nuts across the hills. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's hard work, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, Ferrari do say that they're striving for 100% traceability for all nuts. Um, but it's hard to know how much of this is lip service. And with thousands of farmers and brokers in the air, it's a really complicated task for them to do. So sadly, it seems that hazelnuts, they don't hold that beautiful mystery of knowledge and folklore that they once did, they just, do they? St- they still hold the beautiful taste. They do, that's right, yeah. <laughs> The stories about them today might be even darker because it's all about profit margins and exploitation. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to end this talk of hazelnuts on a down note. So if you're one of our older listeners and you enjoy the taste of hazelnuts, then you might like Frangelico, a hazelnut-flavoured liqueur that comes in a cool-shaped bottle that looks like a Franciscan monk. Oh, that's cool. <laughs>
It's supposedly named after a hermit monk called Fran Angelico, <laughs> who created unique recipes and liqueurs. And the more I kind of read about medieval monks through doing this podcast, the more fun it seems they had at times. <laughs> you just think oh, that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> Old people, but they like doing creative things. Uh, definitely, yeah. Or you just think they waste their time doing massive letters when they write their scripts. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love illuminated texts. So we're going to talk about another knot now. The horse chestnut. Thank you. Why is there more commonly called... Conkers! And we actually went to the park to uh, record this bit. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we were a bit late in the season to find any, but we did find a few, but they weren't great. Yeah, well, we found the husks of some yeah. um, horse chestnuts, which I seem to be struggling to remember. And at the end of this feature, we've also got a very special interview with a representative from Conker Cop. So you might be able to hear some voices around us because we're in Summary Park now looking for our second knot, aren't we? Yeah. And we're looking for horse chestnuts, but unfortunately we're actually a little bit late in the year. And we've come down to Summary Park, so you may be able to hear birds and chattering and all sorts around us at the moment. Yeah. So do you know the common name that they go by? Conkers. That's right, yeah. And um, our chestnuts are actually much larger than um, hazelnuts, mm -hmm. uh, the trees are, and they can grow up to 40 metres tall. Yeah. And I can live for up to 300 years. <laughs> and um, they're not actually related to sweet chestnuts either. Some people might think they are, which is the name. Now, unlike hazelnuts, um, chestnuts, they're not safe to eat. But there are Victorian recipes for making flour out of them. Chestnut flour. But if you had too much of that, it could be poisonous. <laughs> so if you only need, like, five grams of flour in your cooking, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, they were fed to horses, which is maybe where they thought they got their names. They could actually um, help relieve horses from coughing and things like that. I wonder what it sounds like when they cough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Horse chestnuts, they're not actually native to the UK. Mm -hmm. And they come from the Balkans and Turkey. Yeah. And they were introduced to the UK in the 16th century. So this means that they're actually more often found in kind of gardens and parks than out in the woods which is why yeah. we're at the park now. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> but unfortunately, we've not been able to find any, probably we're a bit late in the year. This also means that they don't have much of the folklore about them, which you would find with hazelnuts. Yeah. Uh, like the nature spirits and things protecting them. But they do have an interesting, more modern story. Yeah. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. In 1917, during World War I, there were children, like school children, they were recruited to go and um, find conkers <laughs> and, uh, and also collect acorns and we've seen lots of acorns around. Well, um, it was for the war effort <laughs> and the natives pinned on classroom walls. So they would say things such as, this collection is inviolable, war work, and is very urgent, please encourage it. <laughs> and then in exchange for the haul, the kids would actually earn some pocket money. <laughs> so it's, uh, nice. <laughs> became very popular and, uh, about 3,000 tons of conkers were collected in 1917. It's a lot, That's isn't a it? It's a lot. And they were sent to several facilities around the country for processing with a bacteria called, I'm going to get this wrong, um, Clostridium. Clostridium AC2 budilidium. That'll do, thank you. And then this produced a chemical called acetone. And do you know what that was used for? Mm, nope. 
Well, it's actually crucial in the production of explosives such as nitroglycerine and cordite. And cordite <laughs> was a kind of smokeless um, explosive that was used to replace uh, gunpowder yeah. and weapons. And here's how to make it. So first you get your beep, and then you get beep, and then um, to finish, top it off, beep. <laughs> it's funny you say that. It's when I was at school, we used to ask the science teacher how to make it, and he'd never tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so as I said, it's crucial in the production of explosives. And it's actually discovered by a Russian biochemist who was at Manchester University at the mm-hmm. time. And he was called Charin Wiseman. So he's a very wise man. That's not a Russian name. <laughs> well, he was um, a Zionist and uh, such the gratitude of the Ministry of Munitions for helping, him out, uh, for helping mm-hmm. them out that helped lead to the Balfour Declaration. That was when the British called for the establishment of Israel and Palestine. Yeah. So the founding of like, the uh, nation of Israel. And um, Wiseman, he actually became the first president of Israel. So Russian president of Israel. <laughs> hmm. And now, unfortunately, many of the conquerors actually rotted before they were able to be processed. That's because, sad. Well, yeah, there were stories of like, these great big sacks of them being left at train stations. Rotting, and also due to all the secrecy that they were being used for, so obviously didn't want the Germans to find out about why we were collecting all of yeah. them. Uh, some people were actually suspected that they were being collected by school children, and then somebody was selling them on for more money. And it was even brought up in Parliament. And the reply that they got was they were required for certain purposes. Mm, nice answer. Yeah, I mean it's true, I guess. <laughs> and uh, despite. The poor success. Uh, Congress were actually again collected during the Second World War. Yeah. For the same purpose. So, um, yeah. Congress. Hate the feeling of nuts slapping against you? Fed up with conquer related injuries? You're not alone. Many conquer enthusiasts suffer from the medical condition conquer contusions. Nutcorp has the answer with the Nut Deflector Arm Protector. Made from the finest low grade plastic, the Nut Deflector Arm Protector can take the sting out of any conquer. The double-stitch elasticated arm strap provides both comfort and security, even in the most aggressive of Conquer games. When you need your head in the game, you need your arm in a nut deflector arm protector. Available exclusively at ConquerCup.com for only $9.99. Now up next, very, very exciting, we have our first proper interview, and it's a representative from the Conquer Cup, mm-hmm. and he's going to tell us all about the art of playing Conquers. <laughs> So enjoy the interview. I'm excited. We're joined by a representative from the Conquer Cop here who wishes to remain anonymous. <laughs> yep, he's um, bonkers about conquers, though. <laughs> That's right. So, hello. Um, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Hi, yes. Uh, I am, I think I should just be referred to as Mr. Conquers, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm one of the founders of uh, of Conquer Cup and, and ConquerCup.com, um, and I have to say I'm super excited to be on your podcast. I am a big fan. Thank you very much for coming on. We're big fans of your podcast too. Yeah. And um, we've been talking about various nuts this episode. Hazel, well, hazelnuts and chestnuts, and um, we don't really know that much about Conquer, so we're hoping that you could teach us some more. So uh, can you just give us an introduction to what Conquer is and how it's played, please? Mm-hmm. Sure. Is this a two-hour episode then? Because I can talk for, about Conkers for a very, very long time. I'll tell you what, I'll try and keep it short for you guys. So, Conkers. Conkers is a game that is primarily played in the UK, although I am trying to export it internationally. 
and it's over 170 years old. Um, so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty sort of tried and tested game. It's played between two people with a horse chestnut that you hang on a, uh, a lace, um, and one person holds the lace out at arm's length with it wrapped around their wrist, uh, sorry, their knuckle, their fist rather, and the other player wraps it around their own fist and then swings mm-hmm. their nut at the the holder's nut. And the aim of the game is to de-string your opponent's conquer. So you take three strikes, and then uh, if the conquer still stands or still uh, still on the string, then you swap roles. So you then hold your conquer out at arm's length, and the striker then strikes you three times, and you go on mm-hmm. and on and on. And that lasts for three minutes. And if at the end of that three minutes, the conquer still haven't been de-strung, you go into what is called the bonkers conquers minute, where you have a minute of alternate block <laughs> and you have to just try and hit your opponent's conquer as hard as you can uh, and uh, and well, essentially de-string it. Now, they're the very basic rules. There are a number of different variations mm-hmm. and different games that you can play as well. So it's not as easy as it sounds. Yes, um, we know that there's the gentleman's game and also street conquers. So how do they vary from the kind of the traditional main sports yeah, well, this came about, um, you know, there are a lot of conquer purists out there who get very frustrated when you start to, uh, you know, you start to, to uh, change the rules. So at Conquer Cup, what we've done is we've developed tournament rules, which is for the actual Conquer Cup itself. So tournament rules is all about testing an individual skill at the game of conquers. So we don't want any conquer tech to influence your, your the, the, the player's ability. Therefore, mm, so it's very pure then. Absolutely. So in a tournament game, all conquers, all laces, um, and, and everything is provided by the tournament itself. So we have a conquer sorting table. So we use class two conquers uh, during the uh, for the conquer cup, which is essentially the, the size of the conquer. Um, they are all prepared uh, in a um, you know in a in a kind of a highly uh, scientific manner uh, it's all overseen mm-hmm. by different people to, to to check that there's no uh there's there's no sort of mishandling of the nuts and <laughs> uh, and, and then the tournament is just about the skill of the player now on the flip side the bad boys of conquer favor what, what we term street conquers mm-hmm. so this is where they like to uh pimp up their conquers so they bake them or they'll they'll paint them with varnish or leave them to soak in vinegar to try and harden the nut some of them will even paint the conquer itself to mm-hmm. to make it uh, scarier and uh, you know and more menacing uh, and street conquers is you know as it as it sounds it's a much more aggressive game there are things called stringsies and stampsies uh, which come into play in the street conquers which are absolutely outlawed in uh, tournament conquers um and what stringsies and stampsies are is sometimes when uh, two players are are in a bout they'll swing their conquer and the two the two laces will essentially get intertwined and lock together. Now, if you're playing in street conquers, you have the opportunity to pull your string as hard as you possibly can and yank the conquer out of the other person's hand. Now, that will result... Sorry, so, so the conquer actually, you, you literally pull it from their hand then? You, well, yeah, because if you imagine the two conquers are sort of, have got twined up together, so you've got you, you, you're you're holding one end of the string, the opponent's holding the other, mm-hmm. and there's a knot of conkers in the middle. If you yank yours hard enough, it can cause them to let go of their string. And if the conker falls on the floor, 
there is something called stampsies, which I'm sure you can guess what this is, which is if you've got a nice big <laughs> on, you lift your leg high yeah. and bring it down on their conker and smash it to pieces. And that constitutes a, a win. But that's a, you know, that's a very aggressive game. I myself am not a street conquer player. I don't. Um, I don't play street conquers, but I have played gentlemen's conquers. So gentlemen's conquers is again a, a slightly different game. So it's 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 kind of uh, come about from the jewels of the olden days where they, you know, they sort of walked back to back mm-hmm. and then walked ten paces. Uh, and it was a it was a bout, it was a battle, but it was played against some some sort of very um very uh sort of set gentlemanly rules. So for example, um, you know, you ask how your player is you know, how was the day? Uh, you you then have a, a a game. You're obviously allowed to bring your own nut, but of course, in a game of uh, gentlemen's conquers, um, you would never do stringsies or stampsies. It's just not the done thing. Um, and after three minutes, if no one has won, you simply retire for gin and tonic. Mm. And mainly, that's why I play that game. So much more dignified game then it sounds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you know, really, there's something for everyone in conquers. That's what I was saying. Fantastic. <laughs> So, Anton, um, what sort of style do you think you'd like to play? I like stamping on things, say street conkers. You're, you're going to be a street conker, are you? Yeah. So we should be getting some vinegar and things to kind of harden your nuts. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you can paint them as well. I've seen some pretty aggressive painted conkers that are used in street battles. So uh, I've seen some painted like angry birds. I've seen some painted with like uh, gritted teeth on the front of them. It's like the old planes in the Second World War where they painted the fronts to look scary. <laughs> yeah. See, unfortunately, we actually went to the park the other day and um, being so unprepared, we, we've missed conquer season and all was left was a few husks on the ground, wasn't it? Yeah, so sad. So I think we're going to have to be waiting until next season. This is not a problem, this is not a problem. because I uh, at Conquer Cup HQ... We do something called the uh, Nut Hall every year, which is where we all go out with our nut sacks and we collect conkers for the for the preceding year. And uh, we, we obviously use uh, some of them for the Conker Cup tournament and the rest are laid down in a cellar. They're correctly uh, kind of packaged up so that they don't shrink, that they don't uh, they don't uh, mold. And so I have a, uh, a fine vintage of conkers, and I would be more than happy to um, pop some in the post to you so you could have a little Christmas belt of conkers. Yes, that is incredibly generous of you. Thank you very much. Not a problem. Okay, on to our next question then. Um, these horse chestnuts, they're not actually native to the UK. So do you think that the game of conkers is pushing out other local sports such as fox tossing, um, hot, hasty pudding eating, and um, <laughs> do we all flonking? Well, I mean, I have to be honest with you, and I, 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 um, I feel awful that I didn't know about these sports prior to this, uh, to this conversation. Um, but I have sort of subsequently done a little bit of research into some of these sports. Um, and I have to say, I think uh, the fact that fox tossing isn't practiced so much these days, it's not a bad thing. It's a very brutal game, a very brutal game. So, you know, Concord may be pushing out some sports, but ultimately... The sports that remains are the sports that, you know, really mean something to people. They have a special place in their heart. Mm-hmm. Conquest has been around for over 170 years. Actually, it's, it, it, you know, as far as I can see, it's getting a revival. It's just going from strength to strength. Um, I mean, we're talking tens of players are now coming to the Conquer Cup. So 
You know, who, no. who knows? In a few years, we could even be into triple figures. That is, yeah, it's incredible the growth actually that you're seeing in the sport. Yeah, it is unbelievable, unbelievable. You recently played your 2020 tournament. So, how did this go? Um, did coronavirus affect any of it? Uh, I mean, what kind of things have you had to deal with this year with um, putting on the tournaments? Yeah, I mean, uh, coronavirus has obviously affected us all. We did toy with virtual conquers, but actually, all that happens is you tend to break your laptop screen uh, rather than actually, um, you know, breaking their nap. <laughs> so, uh, we then thought about if we tied the conquers to the end of two meter poles. Um, but that is just a very, very complicated and actually does result in quite a lot of injury. So what we did was... Mm, very difficult as well to aim, I it, imagine. It is. Yeah. I mean, Conkers is... Like, and not accidentally. Yeah. yeah. And Conkers is a highly like technical and skilled uh, sport as it is. So, you know, just... You know, trying trying to do that with the with a two meter pole is is just even more uh, it, it's even more complicated. So, uh, the World Championships, uh, which is a different competition to us, they actually cancelled their event, which we thought was very sad, um, and we were determined that the Conquer Cut uh, should continue. So, what we did was we took some advice and we developed a slight variation on the traditional Conquer Cut which is that the heats were played in uh, uh, bubbles of six. So whoever you was in your COVID bubble, you applied via, um, via our website and you were sent a, uh, a conquer kit, uh, which contained all of the conquers that had been, um, uh, obviously uh, they were class two conquers that had been pre-drilled. You were supplied the laces, you were in, uh, supplied uh, score sheets and instructions and also pin badges because we're just such a lovely organization like that uh, and they were dispatched um to the individual to 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 the team leader they then filmed themselves playing their individual matches um and the winner of each of those heats was then invited to a conquer cup final where we all wore masks we did it outside uh, we took all of the uh, mm-hmm. the, the correct precautions um and we had the final um uh, yeah outside and we were able to crown a champion. Um, so, uh, so yeah, COVID was a problem, but it didn't get in the way of uh, of our success. And and we actually had um, uh, conquer face masks made as well, which just made it a little bit more fun. Yeah, fantastic. So it sounds like this kind of great sport of conquers is it's not going to be stopped by something like Corona. I mean, it's it's just going to keep going. Absolutely not. Uh, we we just you know it, it's like a battle, right? You don't just give up at the first mm-hmm. hurdle. There are so many people that are they look forward to conquer cup it's it's probably the highlight of their year and to take that away from the fans i think we felt would be you know it's too much of a blow we're already having a hard time as it is so you know our motto here is give the fans what they want and uh, and i think we did that yeah you certainly have fantastic and i think anton's got a question for you now yeah so should we be allowing children to play the game of Conkers? Because in recent years, uh, in the news, there's been stories about safety concerns in the schools. Well, I mean, there's two schools of thought on this. I mean, some say, you know, kids should play it, toughen them up a little bit. Uh, and other people say, mm. well, you know, you've got to protect the kids because it's frowned upon to injure them these days. So, again, we, we <laughs> take a very uh, a very sort of strict line on this. You know, we do want to encourage kids to play, 
but safety is key. Um, and actually, with Nutcorp, uh, which is one of the big nut tech companies, uh, we've developed something called uh, the Nut Deflector Arm Protector, uh, which is a piece of safety equipment that you, you place on your forearm um, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, not being nut swingers yourselves, you won't you won't be aware of this. But one of the biggest injuries um, from from playing conkers is is kind of a recoil from the swinger. So when the swinger swings, the the, the conker continues around and actually hits you in your own arm, which is very painful. So we developed this uh, nut deflector arm protector. Um, I mean, there has been backlash. Uh, some people have said that it just looks like a child's shin pad. Um, which is absolutely not true um, because we wrote Nutcorp on it for a start. So um, there there are a lot of um, kind of nut tech innovations um, that are coming out with safety in mind. There is also um, some eyewear. So we have the the Nut Shard Eye Guard, which is obviously a pair of goggles that you can choose to wear. Uh, again, we're not strict on that. It's up to parents. It's up to kids. We don't mandate it because... You know, you need your wits mm. about you when you're in a, a conquer battle. Um, and I've never seen um, I've never seen an, an eye injury from conquers, but, you know, it's there as an option. Um, you know, they're all for sale on our website. So, you know, please, you know, if you need them, go go and get them. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we've got our bases covered. But but really, you know, you can't beat just um, good training. You know, you want to get yourself a good conquer trainer. Uh, making sure that you know how to handle a lace and that you're comfortable with the nut. You need to become one with the rig you're using. So whether that's lace and a nut together, but once you kind of feel the movement, injuries are very few and far between. Yeah, and I guess um, as long as, like you're saying, you're training well and you keep yourself in good physical shape so that you can really control the swing uh, when you are in your conquer battle. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Although I am still a little bit concerned because I hear what you're saying about all of these um, uh, kind of safety equipment that's being provided now always available for people to use. But um, during World War One, school children were actually asked to collect conkers to aid the war effort um, as they mm. were important for um, the production of explosives such as nitroglycerine. So how safe is it really to be playing conkers? I mean, if Anton was to um, start playing, is there a chance he's going to explode? I mean, we can hope, but I think it's unlikely. Um, so you, you're absolutely right. Conkers were used in in, in World War Two, uh, World War Two, sorry, World War One, in the the production of um, uh, uh, cordite. That's the word mm-hmm. I was looking for. <laughs> so, so they were used to, to help the production of cordite, which is awesome, right? Because conquer battles uh, are all about, you know, going to war with your opponent. And then yes. we find out actual conquer are used in war. I mean, it's perfect. Um, so, yeah, they were absolutely used in that production. I don't think that they themselves were the exploding parts. I mean, just to give you um, uh, another use for conkers, they're also really good at laundry detergent. So, you know, it's kind of opposite ends of the scale, exploding and then clean your clothes with them afterwards. There's no end to what you can do with conkers, actually. Uh, Incredible nut. So I can understand where your love of conkers comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I appreciate your episode is about nuts 
the plural, and I'm very much a single man. Um, it's weird when you say it like that, but I am. Um, and I really sort of tend to frown upon acorns and, and hazelnuts and, and, and these kind of nuts because they are just poor contenders to the mighty conquer. Um, but, you know, I guess they have a place in society. Yeah, the, the conger's got a bit more weight to it, doesn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's more of a man's nut, I think. However, I think that um, coconuts are still the best for conkers. They are very difficult to string on a shoelace, though. I guess. Very mm. difficult. Yeah. I mean, actually, one of the things that we did, and maybe you could, uh, maybe you could ask your audience to, to help us out with this. We were starting a campaign to look for um, a substitute conquer during off season. So, so when you're um, when the the conquer season isn't uh, isn't on, uh, people want to continue training. They want to make sure that their skills aren't um, obviously going to, to waste. Now, you can use conquers that have been stored, which is great. But, you know, they're not cheap. They, you know, you have to prepare them. You have to store them correctly. You know, you don't want to be using your best nuts just for practicing. So we, we, we are looking at the moment for substitute conkers. Um, uh, in fact, on our website, we put some videos up of things that we've, we've tried. We tried um, an egg. That was, that was, I mean, it was, it was a mistake. <laughs> we shouldn't have really tried it with an egg. Um, we tried it with potato. Um, a Brussels sprout, surprisingly, so far, has been exceptionally good um, as a Christmas dinner. Exactly, yeah. Coming into Christmas, I mean, that could be the ideal kind of uh, practice, not to eat, or not not. Yeah, it really could. Yeah, I mean, so so yeah, it's it's one of those things. We give it a score, but we really are still looking for the for the ultimate um, sort of. Uh, you know, practice conquer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we we did try coconut, which is why I know it's very difficult to, to to swing on a lace. I mean, it was it was I mean, it was stupid really because it's <laughs> massive compared to a conquer. But um, but we you know we like to we like to kind of cover all of the bases. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I think that probably concludes our interview. And thank you very much for your time. And um, if you want people to find out more about the conquer cup, uh, where should they find you? Well, they should come to conquercup.com or you can follow us on Instagram at conquercup. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. That's fantastic. I loved that interview so much. Really nice yeah, chat. First proper interview. It was really, 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 really nice. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be doing some more in the future as well mm-hmm. after that. Really good. We've got a few lined up. We've got, well, <laughs> well, well we've in our got, heads. <laughs> yeah, we've got we've got some plans for um some. Yes, maybe we need to think of a Christmas interview. Yeah. With Santa perhaps. Yeah, we could do mummy again. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um. So anyway, that's the end of our episode. So I hope you know a little bit more about hazelnuts and some of the folklore around them and also conkers. I have a feeling this was a bit of a longer episode, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Yes. And please, please, please review us on iTunes or on Podchaser or Stitcher or Podbean or or anywhere. Just review us, please. Mm -hmm. And listen to um, Chestnut Chat. That's um, Conker Cop representative 
Chats podcast. Yeah, that's right. So if you search for Chestnut Chat in your pod, pod player of yeah. choice, then yeah. you'll find them. And we will also link to them in the show notes and on Twitter. Speaking and of Twitter. They also, also have an Instagram as well, so you can follow them there. Yes, conquercop.com as well. Yeah. And speaking of Twitter, what's our Twitter handle? Oh, not this again. Um, I can't remember. I don't do the Twitter. Curie Child Pod. Oh, that's it. Our Twitter is Curie Child Pod. Well done. Well remembered. Uh, Curie Child Pod. Yes. And what's our website? Um. <laughs> the Curiosity of a Child. That's right. You can say yeah. that with more confidence. The curiosity of a child.com. That's right. So if you visit us there, you'll find the show notes um, some point in the future. So we will see you again soon and with our Christmas okay. special. And you need to think of some ideas, young man. Yep. We need something good for that. Goodbye and thank you. Bye-bye. Love you. <laughs>